Hello? Blog Talk Radio. Thank God it's working. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce, and psychotherapist Dennis Palumbo is here. This is a really important topic because I've been listening to different teens and even adults talk about identifying stress and anxiety in teens and how you can help. So I have the definitions here, and then we're going to have the expert tell us how how you define it and how you tell it. What is stress? It's a feeling of being worried or uncomfortable about something for a short time. The body releases hormones to increase alertness and to prepare to act. Anxiety is fear or worry that does not go away when the stressor is over or is unrealistic. For people experiencing anxiety disorders, we're going to talk about what the signs are, the signals stress, and how to handle it. Good morning and welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, I'm happy to be here, friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this, this is really a topic that I think affects not only teens but adults too. And I, I know when I went to school, my mother put a lot of pressure on me for a lot of reasons, and you don't even realize it sometimes. So what are the major signs and causes of stress and anxiety in teens, and do parents actually pay attention? Well, I think sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Uh, I think when you look at what are the causes of teenage anxiety today, at least in my experience, I would say number one, it's social media, mm-hmm. and um, it, it, because it, it, with, with social media, you get a, a, a variety of issues to worry about. You have peer pressure, and you also have fears of the future, like uh, social concerns, climate change, wars, all those other things. Social media and the Internet in general buys in a very big way. Another big issue is sexual identity issues. So peer pressure, sexual identity issues, and like I said, primarily social media, which really I think for teens emphasizes the idea that you're missing out on something, that there you are alone on a Saturday night, you know, checking your Facebook page, and everybody else seems to be having a great time or in a great new relationship or they're, you know, on a yacht in Lake Como. And there you are, lonely and depressed and feeling unloved and unworthy. And so I remember from high school the amount of peer pressure was. Mm. And I'm old enough that, you know, <laughs> there wasn't any social media. But it's ten times worse now because of that. And we also have idealized body images that we see on social mm-hmm. media. And so there's so many um, stressors on, right, adults 
still the same thing. I mean, you can be an adult and see somebody on their yacht and go, boy, I made a lot of wrong choices in my life. But, you know, you hopefully have the maturity to have some perspective. One thing I remember as a teenager is I had no perspective. So whatever was making me anxious or making me feel unworthy or making me feel less than, I had nothing to counter that. I had have the years of going, well, that guy puts on social media, know how happy he actually is. Do that when you're 16. Do you think anyone hanging with Taylor than you do? That kind of social media pressure creates enormous anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, the in, in uh, teenage and often suicidal ideation. So mm. it, it I can't hear you. I said it's really important to keep in mind that yeah. accompanying anxiety is often depression in teens. And uh, yeah. we often don't see it, particularly in boys, because they don't talk about their And the reality is... Severe. Uh, there's a lot of suicidal ideation, and mm. a rise for teens too. Suicide attempts, especially with the amount of drugs that are available out there. There's a lot of issues that teens gay, let alone the pressure they may get. Like you mentioned, uh, uh, feeling like that at school you had to perform real well. There's a lot of kids whose parents put tremendous pressure on them to Oh yes. Yeah. And it's very very hard for them. I know that if I didn't get 100 on a test, 99.5999 was not good enough. That That's before right. I came to, I studied, I have a photographic memory till this day. I could tell you every page that the teacher gave. But if I came home with a 99.9, I knew I was in trouble. My mother said, she didn't do it to my sister or brother. You have to be perfect. You have to get 100, write the test over until you get it right. And yeah, this went I on know. all the way through, yeah, through junior high school. I didn't want to, I, I got migraines just taking the test. Besides the fact that I was, now I weigh 100 pounds. I weighed like 150. I wasn't the prettiest girl on the block, and I really didn't care. That that didn't bother me because I had, you know, different kinds of friends. But, yeah. Kids feel that they have to fit in, right? And if they don't fit in, then parents sometimes... My mother didn't even care that she did it. Seriously, Dennis? She didn't care. She just well, said, you will do this. My, and my brother and sister could get, you know, Bs and Cs. And if I got less than an A+, plus, I knew I was in trouble. So what do you do then when parents do that even now? If oh, parents... If they even pay that attention. Well, the, the key is to pay attention to the effect on your kid. I mean, not every yeah. parent's going to... But when... Parents will say to themselves, well, I need him or her to get straight A's so that they can get into good schools and have successful Mm. lives. But do you notice that your kid's breaking out in acne? Or do you notice that they have Mm. uh, a – do you notice they're walking around depressed and they're not self-care and they're not taking care of their appearance? These are all – are they isolating too much? Things that parents need to be aware of. And that it's more important psychological health than he gets into, you know, some Ivy League school. Because 
you can go to an Ivy League school and still end up depressed, unhappy. It's of, more important. Of course, yeah, it's more important right. to save child's psychological well-being and their sense of themselves as lovable and worthy is much more important than how many, what kind of grades they have. And I, you know, it's funny. I can really relate to your. I'm, when I was in grade school, I was always expected to get straight A's, and I remember when I got a couple B's, uh-huh. I didn't bring my report card home to my parents, <laughs> and I told them that, well, the, the report card thing got broken or, or whatever. You know, they, they weren't sending them out this term or whatever. And I held on to that lie for weeks until my mother said, wait a minute. She was talking to one of her friends whose kids had a report they got their report cards, and I finally had to own up that I had a report card. I just didn't want them to see how many B's were on it. And so I can relate to the idea of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. For yeah, my, my mother would say if you, didn't, if you didn't get a perfect score, and, you know, the problem was this, too. My mother was the PTA president, oh, and, my, well. and my aunt was a teacher in the school, and a lot of times I paid the penalty because they expected the PTA president's daughter to be perfect, and That's I right. never, I never, I never talked back except one time. There was a contest in writing, and I'm a really good writer. We think I don't even know, who. and I won the contest for the school. I won it I for the district. I happen to know you are. <laughs> I try, and I, and I happened to win the win the contest for the city. And my teacher was so mean. She said in front of the class, "You probably didn't write it, mind you. I wrote it in class." And I didn't know I was writing the composition. Your aunt probably told you. And it was the very first time I ever told anybody where they could put themselves and why. And I ran oh out my. of the room. I never, ever cursed at a teacher. And she was evil. And I said to my mother, she said, you're going to be suspended. I said, I don't even care. She had the gall to accuse me of, of writing a composition at home and memorizing it to write in class. And I felt I was heartbroken because I actually would have won a medal for the school. And well, I, that's, that's when I knew it's sad, that was, yeah. That that was very, very terrible. And, again, when yeah. we hear from adults, whether they need to invalidate your work or they need you to be perfect because mm. it reflects on them, certainly because of your mother's position in the PTA, how you yeah. perform, it's the same as oftentimes be a teen athlete whose dad uh, is a coach on the team and expects mm-hmm. the teen athlete to be perfect. They have all kinds of pressure on them because of their father's expectation about their athletic performance. I've seen that time and time again. And, it, you know, that uh, pressure only makes a kid feel terrible and leads to uh, substance use just for self-medication just to not be in that feeling state that they're in that's caused by their dynamic with their parent. I agree. My my nephew is a baseball player, and he's going to um, UMass. He's on the minor league baseball team, but he got hurt, but he's going to go back on. And when he did the uh, the Little League, the, the games before from, from Muhlenberg, from his other school, he would text me before and he would say, you need to watch the game so that my father doesn't tell me I did the wrong thing. Because I know oh. baseball. I couldn't believe it. I cracked up laughing, and he would text me in the middle of the game, did you see that? I go, the umpire is 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 blind. A lot of times they made the wrong call. And Jake would say to me, you see, 
I told my father you were right. <laughs> she didn't get yelled at. And the, the team was so bad. I think they won six games out of 50 the whole year. Wow. And, and it wasn't see, the players, yeah. Of him texting you and saying, make sure that you see what I did so that yeah. you can hear what my father says about my performance. Well, what does that yeah, tell my, you about relationship with his father? See, that my brother is very strict, you're right. And my brother was like my mother. You, yeah, I don't care. It's just, what's his relationship with his father? Because, see, if that's his relationship, imagine when the kid gets older and he has some sort of crisis, an emotional crisis, financial crisis. I know. He's going to want to share that with his dad because he's going to feel shame. Remember that one of the big causes of teenage anxiety is shame. But social media tends to reaffirm. Peer pressure tends to do that. Mm-hmm. Sex identity issues, all shame-based. And, and you know, right. that, that what's that phrase they use? Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. When teenagers yeah. social media or Instagram or whatever, they feel that fear of missing out, that everybody else is having this kind of experience or feeling this wonderful way about them. They don't, so there must be. I I agree. That pressure makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. So one of the things I always tell parents is be on the lookout for times when you're talking about him or herself in very negative terms. Like, oh, I always look like crap, or I'll never look like Susie, or can't I ever be first baseman, you know. Watch out for any kind of shaming or self-recriminating talk from your kid because that means they're feeling tons of anxiety that could lead to depression. They are. And that's very, very important that a parent helps them get some perspective feeling that sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That's life. It's not you. It's how life is. And teenagers don't get that perspective. They don't think, oh, wow, this is, you know. They don't think that. They think, oh, I screwed up. I'm not good enough. I'm less than. And, boy, if they don't feel that, all they have to do is go on social media kill it. Believe me. And you and I both know that. We we have writing colleagues who who are on bestseller lists or whatever, and we go, God, what's wrong with me? You know, that's very common in a competitive culture. Oh, without a doubt. I, I've gotten some really negative <laughs> reviews on the, not this best book, but the one before. And I was on a book tour, and I said to the girl on the book tour, I thought that not a lot of folks say that my, edit, my I had a professional editor. I don't edit my book. I paid. And he did a really great job. And they said, your dialogue is this, whatever. And I, I just said to the person, I will never do another tour. Now I'm going to do um, a blast, a, a five-day blast, because oh. I don't want any reviews. I just want spotlight, interviews, and um, and showcases. And they didn't do anything about it. It's it's really pathetic that they that they didn't do anything. And people write negative things about everybody. But my nephew called me, and he called. It was hysterical. He calls me up. He was playing baseball. He calls me up. He said, "I lost my wallet." I go, "And your point? Where is it?" 
So I had to go through it with him until he found it. The next time he lost his driver's license, I don't know what he did with it, but he finally got it replaced and whatever, because he wouldn't call his father to tell him. Nope. Point I'm making. That's my brother. If you're not willing to tell him you lost your wallet, imagine how you're going to tell him you're getting a divorce or that yeah, you I find know. out, figure out you're gay or that, you know, you, you, you're about yeah. to be arrested for dealing drugs. You know, that's not a dad you can go to. And that's no, you can't. The other things that, that I mentioned just in passing, but it's very important for teenage anxiety and depression, is the mm. feeling of isolation, that they don't feel they have anyone they can turn to to talk about this stuff because they can't reveal it to their peers. And if they feel their parents' reaction be critical or negative, they can't talk to them either. And so it reinforces the idea that, boy, I'm so different from everyone else. Uh, my struggles are uh, a function of my defects as a person. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had a parent where you can go to them and say, yeah, I'm really anxious about this test, and a parent goes, yeah, tests used to make me anxious too, that's a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Child dynamic. That's a whole different experience. You know? So, no, yeah. So anyway, the point is, when your kid does tell you that they're worried about something, you should yeah. be great because that means they're willing to share with you how they're feeling, that they trust enough that you're not going to obliterate them because they have a vulnerability about something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary because I don't know if enough parents, they realize it. I mean, I taught for a lot of years, and I, I had um, there were four twins. Jason, Victor, Keith, and the other one. And, yeah, Jason, Victor, Keith, and I don't remember, the, and Kevin. And they were very famous. They were on TV. They're still on TV. They're very famous even now, the Fertig Quadruplets. And one of them came into the class one day, because I was a writing staff developer that year, and he was, like, quiet. And the other one was talkative. And I pulled him out, and I go, okay, what's up? And it was something with, that was wrong with the parent. And I realized it, and I called the father, and I said, this is not them. I'm not going to mark them down. I'm not going to yell at them. You've got to find out what it is. But how many teachers take – I could get in trouble for that, you me tell you, because they would say, oh, it's none of your business. But you know what? These are four A students, and I wasn't going to let them feel that nobody cared. So how do, how do you tell teachers and guidance counselors to be more alert? Because – I've taught for so long, and, I mean, you have no idea that some of this trouble I got into. I mean, one girl came up to me, and she said, my aunt is sexually abusing me. I go, oh, my God. And I sat there and talked to her, and for some reason, I believed her. And I called the mother, and the mother started screaming at me. I said, before you scream, find out. And she came in and apologized and said I was right. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be right. So how well, do you that... handle that? How does a teacher handle it? Or a guidance counselor, when somebody comes and says, I'm under stress. If I fail, my mother's going to beat me. Well, there's a couple ways to deal with it. Number one, uh, the teacher, or first of all, I think it's important mm-hmm. that you did what you did. Um, yeah. Teachers and counselors, you know, they're, they're in a very difficult position. However, what you can do, for example, is if a child you as a or a counselor or a mentor in any position like that and say, you know, my dad's abusing me, my aunt's abusing me, whatever, and always call Child Protective Services and make a report, and you can be mm-hmm. anonymous. I mean, you don't have to, you know, be 
you can be somewhat vague to get the thing investigated. You could be sued if you, if you your, your daughter or your son just told me they're getting abused by your, you know, your new boyfriend. They could end up screaming at you and suing you. And so, uh-huh. you know, you do need to protect yourself. But on the other hand, somebody has to protect the kids. And see, my feeling is all laws, social laws, should be designed around protecting the child. Exactly. See, one of the things as a therapist, I mean, I've to call Child Protective Services. On, uh, I had a patient who came in who was an au pair and said, well, I've been mm-hmm. having a boy that I'm taking care of. I instantly said to him, just wait there. Uh, I, I'm not going to abandon you, but I do have to call Child Protective Services. And see, the reality is therapists are immune from prosecution. We have no liability. Mm. You know, basically, call Child Protective Services, and it turns out the person was lying or that the kid was not having sex with up there. There's no uh, legal ramifications for me. But not everyone has that. So you do have to be very, very careful. But sometimes... All the kid needs is for someone to believe him. Mm. Just to go, okay, they, they, that might be terrible. Um, would you like to come in with your mom and dad? We could all sit down together and talk about it. Something like that would be, I think, a better way to go. But frankly, for a person, a teacher, counselor's protection, I think they should call Child Protective Services or the police. Just make we, it don't, we don't have that protection. As a no, matter of fact, have... I think the the worst thing that ever happened was I was teaching a fourth grade, a four or five. I was always teaching two grades. I don't know why. They always did that to me. This is right before I got my reading master's and said, freedom, finally, teaching reading. Little girl, girl comes in and she says, look at my arm. And I said, why is your arm filled with welt and black and blue marks? My father did it. Wow. I said, okay, why? He says, he just felt like he was mad. I said, okay, go sit over there. You're going to help me clean my room. I called the guidance counselor. I said, get up here right now. And we did report it right away. The father came in for open school the next night, and he says, I heard what you did, and I'm going to do something about it. I said, no, you're not, because the cop behind you is going to take you away. Wow. He just yeah, I I got so scared. I thought she was going to be dead. I called the mother the whole weekend. I said, get rid of him. Make sure he's not there. Call me if you need help. And they did. And I said, well, oh, my God, I'm going to get into big trouble with the principal for this one. But basically, if you don't report it, you could be arrested. Well, that's We're, we're liable to to report. And if you don't, yeah. it, you could be fired. Yeah. So I would rather be wrong. Than, than have a dead kid until this day. She's on social media and reminds me that she loves me. Oh, well, see, you did a great thing. I mean, it's very, it takes a lot of courage to report because you know you That was started. scary, yeah. <laughs> I could imagine it being very scary. I mean, therapists are lucky in that our clinical license protects us. It doesn't protect us from the dad coming and, you know, hitting us with a hammer, but it oh, does yeah. protect us easily, you know, and... I, I'd rather someone make a, a, an, an inaccurate report than not report at all because of fear. But, again, what we're talking about are some of the stressors on young mm-hmm. people. 
whether it's coming from their peers, which is where most of the stressors come from. They're, mm. you know, most it's not parental stress. It's peer pressure. It's uh, the mean girls. It's not being part of the, the clique, uh, you know, not, not being part of the cool kids. And, you know, that's where you end up, unless you're in sports. I mean, if you want to check the research, the best thing a team can do to, to alleviate anxiety, depression, potential for substance use is to be part of organized team sports in school. Mm-hmm. Because you get reaffirmed for your skill set. I mean, there's a lot of competition and there's negatives involved with that too. But kids have no perspective. There's negatives involved with everything. But the reality is, sports self-esteem. You have a peer group that you're all in support of the goal, which is you know winning whatever basketball game or you know, whatever volleyball game you're playing, something that you can throw yourself into that you can feel part of and feel gratified by. And, you know, that's the key. The key is to find something that gives you meaning. You know, the the Hindus say the key to contentment is absorption. See a teenager who is absorbed in their studies or absorbed in their sport, absorbed in something that's bigger than them, like joining Greenpeace or, you know, Mm. working on cleaning up the environment on the beach and stuff, they're much healthier psychologically than teens who spend their whole time worrying about what they're wearing and do they have the latest cell phone and what their friends think of them. No, I I agree. I know that I was in junior high school. I was a concert violinist, concert pianist. And I was up for the music award, and I sat at graduation and got the French medal, and go like, so what? Got the English medal, so what? The music medal went to somebody else. And I looked at the teacher, and I go, how could you give it? And he was a talented trumpet player. I said, why can't we share the award? He said, because he'll probably never get another one. I said, that is a bad reason for giving someone an award. I said, I deserve it. He he said, I thought you'd understand. I said, I don't want the French medal or the English. I worked my tail to be the best first violinist here. And it was the middle of graduation. I almost walked out. I was like, I couldn't believe it. But you mentioned basketball. I weighed 150 pounds when I was in high school. I'm short. I had a big wide end. I weigh 100 pounds now. And believe it or not, I made the girls' basketball team at five feet. Wow, at five feet? At five, yeah, because for some reason back then I could get a three-pointer. <laughs> I had no idea, and because I was so wide, I was the back end. So they wanted me on the team, and the teacher was glad that I was there. She said, "You like you make the whole team." I was like so glad to be accepted. I didn't care what I looked like. Seriously. Well, that's wonderful. You found that's exactly what I was talking about in terms of a school team yeah. sport. That you found a place where who you were was valued. Yeah. And see, that's the key to all of teenage anxiety and depression, is what is your self-concept? Do you, as a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid, feel valued for who you are? And that means you need a perspective on social media stuff, on peer pressure. Uh, are you accepted for who you are? And most kids want to fit They don't want to, you know concept because you know they're kids and i didn't want to weirdo 
And I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't a genius and I wasn't a jock. And it wasn't until I found the theater department and started, you know, auditioning for plays mm. and little sketches. And I went a version of these are my people. So it was a bunch of other nerdy guys and girls, not athletes. And we found our little niche. And, you know, that was the beginning of my work as, as a writer, which I was for many, many years before I became a therapist. And so I, I found my group. And one of the things when I talk to young people today, I always go, if you like painting, find a group of people who like art. Mm-hmm. If you like pictures, find a, a club that does computer coding. You know, find your, your fellow nerd, whoever that is. And you can even humorously say something like, well, you know, nowadays nerds rule. And so, you know, there there's ways you can help a kid see that there is places, there are places where he or she can fit mm. in, not by changing who they are, but by finding like-minded people. No, I, I agree. My my sister was a dancer, and she sang in Broadway shows. She sang in school plays. She did everything. And my mother was a drum major and a singer, so I was like, she's a, she's the violinist. You know, it was like, I love playing the violin. It was like a, obsessed. And piano lessons, I I couldn't wait for the next lesson. Whereas wow. my sister said she 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 didn't like it. She played the piano, but she hated it. But she could sing and she could dance, and that's what my mother identified with, because she was different. My my father could sing. Everybody in my family could sing except me. So when I took my music major, which I didn't know I was going to have to do, I played for, I had a pray to play past voice. I mean, just the thought that I had to get up there and do a program in front of 200 people was ridiculous. And the professor cracked up laughing. He's still laughing. At my program. And he, he said, to, I, I got straight A's and everything except voice. And he said to me, I'll give you a B plus in this class, and I'll give you another one not to take the next one. I said, okay. but I did bring you earplugs. I told you you didn't have to listen. <laughs> I, you know, you have to you have to laugh sometimes. But where do parents go when they don't know how to handle it? I mean, I've seen kids cut school for a week. And, of course, if somebody in my class was absent more than, more than a day, I'd call to find out why. I mean, a lot of people don't. I don't think teachers take that time anymore. I don't know if they even care and until it's too late. And then I, I read the news, and there are schools where somebody comes in and shoots the kids. Or the guards look away. So how, how do you make people understand? How do you tell parents you've know, you got to wake up? And where do they go for help? Well... First of all, any parent who reads the news is probably anxious about their kids' safety Yeah. At school. And, by the way, that's one of the, the things I, I thought about before talking to you today is yeah. that, you know, when I was a kid in school, it wasn't top of mind for me to worry about, is there a guy with a gun that's going to come into my no. school? That's now something kids not only worry about, they actually do drills on how mm-hmm. we we have an active shooter. Well, it's not like teenagers aren't anxious enough, and now their physical safety is an issue. And that mm. leads to the kinds of fears for the future, whether it's somebody coming in to shoot, whether it's climate change. You know, the other thing that social media and the Internet done is it's made kids aware of how dangerous the world is in a way that I think is over 
that that while all these issues get shot at their school, and the, we, you know, you are active climate change. You don't know. Know so much about messed up things are, and this was a you know, this was a year where we had mass shootings. The Ukraine, Ukraine. Yeah. We had the situation right now in the, on the Gaza Strip, and and you know we have full chaos. So if you're a 16 year old, you look around, you go, I don't know if the future is going to be here. So you have that anxiety as well. I hear this from my patients all the time that mm. their kids them and go, uh, is the world going to be here in 50 years? You know, is the government going to collapse in 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 20 years? You know, are we going to all go be at war? Are we going to have to live underground like in a sci-fi movie? You know, mm-hmm. my patients, you know, tell me that their children are worried about this stuff. They're inundated with bad news that all the time. Why well, I want this, I think, parents need to do. When you say what should parents do, limit yeah. time online. Put their kids' time in social media. Limit how much time they can spend on their cell phones mm-hmm. because just getting fed a view of the world feeds anxiety and certainly feeds depression. So the other thing is that a lot of the schools, there was a, there was a definitely a controversy when I was teaching. Um, the kids in my school were, were allowed to bring cell phones in sixth grade, seventh grade. They were allowed to bring them. Except if I saw that on, they, I was mine. I said, you cannot use your phone in class because you're going to miss my brilliance, and you're not going to do that. And they respected it. They did. Yeah. I, and then there was one day I said, okay, everybody take out your cell phone because I need you to look something up so we're going to write about it. They cracked <laughs> up laughing. I, you know, you have, to, you have to have a sense of humor. And I guess, after, and that was tough. And I said, just don't make me upset. Because my punishments are a lot worse than the pizza party for the top class of the month. And they yeah. know how we do it. I mean, yeah. there was one month I had to do five classes because they were all good. Nobody got in trouble. Nobody wanted to get in trouble. So it was like you've got to give them like um, a cushion or you have, they have to feel comfortable with you that they can come up and say to you, I'm, I'm worried there's something wrong. But ba- basically... I don't know if teachers, I, I listen to the news, I listen to my teachers from my school that call me, and they say, well, we're told we have to follow the reading program this way. I said, but the kids are not learning. Why don't you let me explain it to you a different way? There are whole new programs that are out there that really don't work. And kids don't know, what if you walk into a classroom and the teacher says, oh, uh, we, all my bright students are here, You, the rest of you shut up. And I've been there. I've seen that. Wow. Wow. And that, and that does happen. So what do you do then? You're a smart kid, you're an A student, and the teacher says, I only want to hear from them. I don't want to hear from you. And I know that. And how do you deal with that? Because you, you, you're you smart, and you feel like you want to crawl under a rock and hide. That's when you cut class. Well, that's the go. thing. What it'll do is yeah. it'll turn you off about being in that class. You'll cut class. Uh, hopefully you can go to your counselor at the school and say, put me in a different class where who I am and what I have to contribute yeah. is uh, Maybe that will happen. Maybe that won't. I mean, 
you know, I tend to side with teachers only in the sense I figure they're overwhelmed, they're underpaid, mm-hmm. and they're not respected in, in the culture. So, uh, and since right. I think it's so important, I tend to side with them unless they're real martinets treat their, their students like crap. Uh, I mm-hmm. hate that, you know. And I also think that teachers can be very helpful to anxious students by owning mm-hmm. their own abilities, by saying, yeah, I used to have test anxiety too, or, yeah, I remember I went six months without a boyfriend and I felt like I was, you know, the most unattractive girl in the school. You know, mm-hmm. to say, as a therapist, I, I, I do what's called uh, an appropriate self So if somebody says to me, gee, I have to do this job interview and I'm really anxious, I'll often say, man, I know interviews used to make me very anxious, too. Mm -hmm. about it? The moment you acknowledge that you feel or have felt, they feel less weird about themselves. You don't even have to take away their anxiety so much as it lets them know other people feel this way. It's not just, you know... One of the things that, if anyone out there listening has ever been in group therapy, one of the benefits of group therapy is as you hear other people talk about their experiences, you go, well, gosh, how I feel sometimes. Mm. So the kind of universality of experience, you know what I mean? You feel like you're the only geeky person who a certain way. Then you get in a group of 12 people and 10 other people tell you how they feel, and you go, God, that's just like how I feel. And so you don't feel different, and you don't feel so estranged. And particularly for teenagers, they're being isolated or different or unable to fit in is one of the leading causes of that anxiety and depression that not only creates ideation, but certainly often leads to substance use because most kids use drugs as self-medication just to get mm-hmm. high and to not feel the way they do. I mean, it's like when, when a guy comes home from work and has to have, you know, two cocktails. What he's doing is he's medicating from the stressors of the job. You know what bothers me is that half the book I'm reading, you're exactly right. All the characters go to work and then they have five cocktails before they go to sleep. It's, it's And they're not really books that kids can read, you know, murder mysteries. I'm going like, why is she drunk all the time? How is she solved? How is she becoming an accountant? I think the most gratifying thing I got was last month. My students, not the ones that I had right away, but the ones that I had right before I retired, because my mom was sick, um, are on Facebook. And they, they, they say the nicest thing sometimes. And one girl called me up, actually. Somehow she got my phone number. And she said, I just need to talk to you because i got to get my head on straight. And if I talk to you, you're not going to pussyfoot around. You're going to tell me what you think. I was like, Well, that's a real compliment to you, Fran, because she felt she'd get the straight goods from you and that you'd listen to her. See, one of the things that I think is important when you say what could parents do, the number one thing a parent can do is listen to their kid. Yeah. Often the kid has gotten a message for adolescence that their parent doesn't want to be bothered if there's any mm-hmm. trouble. Most of them don't. By the time they're 14, 15, 16, 17, which is when you have a lot of emotional stressors, mm-hmm. you don't feel to go to that parent and say, you know, gee, I'm starting to feel 
like uh, my teacher doesn't like me or that I'm an idiot at math or whatever and expect that you're going to be treated well. You know, you want to be able, if you're a girl, you want to be able to go to your mom and go, gee, I, I think somebody in my class is prettier than me, and have a mom that goes, yeah, every girl feels that way, even the pretty ones. You know, I mean, I remember when I went to my 20th high school reunion years and years ago, and, you know, was talking to some of the girls who had been like the pretty girls in school, all we talked about is how insecure they felt and that they never felt like they were the prettiest girl. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, it, it, you know, these are girls I never would have dared to ask out. And so we don't know what someone's interior experience. And so if a kid can share with their parent, life, or I just saw this thing on Facebook that makes me feel like they're having a lot of fun and I'm not of me you have a parent you can yeah everybody presents a real good version of themselves on facebook but that's pr it has nothing to do with their real lives and i know this i don't for put a, anything right i just put my I mean, book I reviews because i don't I put anything on no put nothing personal on facebook ever no you shouldn't because uh it, it makes you too vulnerable um yeah i i think kids should be very wary of things they see on Instagram or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook or, or, or Twitter or any of those things. TikTok uh, I think is all worse. These stir up anxiety. It, it just creates anxiety. You know, there, there's there's not much you can do about it, but, but reflect on yourself. Feel about me. I, always, I got compared to other people because... I was a straight-A student, and my mom said my friends were smarter than me. She said, "These, why can't you be like this one or that one? I said, I get 100 on every test, so does she, so what? So yeah. you know what happens when you do that? You go, I still got the straight A's. I just dropped my friends and went to the wrong crowd. Not bad kids, but kids that were not considered, you know, they were more like the in-cool kids. And yeah. I stayed with them for about one party. That we went to one party, and I said, I don't like what happened. I walked home alone at night at 10 o'clock. I oh. said to my mother, if I'm not good enough, for, I'm, not, I'm too good for them, but I'm not good enough for the other three, I don't care at this point. And then I went yeah. back to the other three. They were really, one was brilliant, and the other two were smart, and I was just as smart as the brilliant one. But she says, why can't you be like her? I said, because I'm not a snob. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. So... Seriously speaking, I mean, a lot of my students are on Facebook, and I don't know if you want if you're there. Well, this one is Michael Taylor, does um, Team Spartan Spades. It's a black organization for anybody that wants to lose weight, and he's encouraging kids of all races and all ages and people of all ages. It's all over the world, and he said to me, he texts me all the time, and he says, "If not for you, I'd be in jail." It's a good thing I listened, and it's wow. like. Yeah, he he was tough. He was really bad for at least a minute. And my friend was his teacher, and he said, if not for you, he says, I would be in jail. He said, because you straightened my butt out. I said, I straightened a lot of butts out, too, but yours was very important. I said, and look what happened. The whole world respects you because you're wonderful. And he stays in touch with me every day. Well, that's, so that's, something. that's wonderful. Again, I think what I'm hearing from you is that as a teacher – you made the commitment to pay attention to what was actually going on with the yeah. students. 
Like I yeah. said, I'm pro-teacher. I'm very pro-teacher because, I, as I said, I think they're underpaid and they're super important. But oh, yeah. I also that sometimes, and this is for anyone, a, a teacher can get burnt out or find it so difficult dealing with the bureaucracy that they just kind of mm-hmm. throw up hands and go, well, I tried my best, but I, you know, I can't do what I need to do for this kid. Uh, the structure of the bureaucracy prevents me from doing it. I mean, there's ways in which teachers want to do more and can't, you know. That's and why also I retired. That's why I retired. Then, yeah, you're right. And it was a new principal, and she wouldn't let me do my reading program. I always had kids come in at 6:30 in the morning that came from foreign countries, and I taught them how to read. And it was it was a riot. They were fantastic. The last year, I wanted to go back to teach reading. I didn't want to be the dean or the assistant principal or anything, and she wouldn't let me do it. She said, "You're the only one that can handle the fifth grade." And keep they kept pulling me out to cover classes. That's when I quit. Yeah, you can't well, do it the right way. What's the point? And the kids, I felt so bad because I didn't have a room. I had to teach in the room with other teachers, you know, on the other side. And the kids said, you're like the best person in the world. You're really great. So I would sneak them into my office and get in trouble for helping them. So I finally said to her, you know what? My mother's got Alzheimer's. I'm not going to stay. And she said to me, you know, this must be a hard decision. I said, when you leave, I'll come back. You said that? Wow. Yeah, I swear to God, I said that. When you leave, I'll come back. She was there 20 years. I retired in 2003. She retired last year for whatever reason, and the school went, when I left, was on or above grade level. It's all the way down at the bottom of like four or five from the bottom in the city of over 3,000 schools. That's how bad she was. Wow. Wow. It's, It's sad because you have to care about what you're doing. So what are some, if a parent can't handle the stress, what kind of help should a child get? Do they need a counselor? Do they need a, you know, somebody well, like de- yourself to help them? It depends on, on how much acting out the kid is doing or how overwhelmed mm-hmm. the parent feels. Because a lot of parents, you know, in my practice, uh, go and deal, you know, get a family therapist mm-hmm. and sessions, do sessions with the kid. I also think it's not bad to, if your child is really in trouble uh, to mm. get them to see a counselor and to find out uh, uh, what's going on with the kid. You know, now the thing is often, like when, when the, I don't really deal that much in my practice. Uh, uh, when I worked at a, a family clinic, I had a lot of adolescent and teen patients Mm. And unless there was something really dangerous that I needed to convey to their parent, because they were minors, of course, I tried mm. to keep told me confidential as I, so they could feel safe talking. Now, obviously, if they were using drugs or if they had any kind of suicidal mm. ideation, I would tell their parents, But you know, because they are minors. But I also really felt the most important thing they had was an adult who would listen to them without mm-hmm. judgment. And I think the thing a parent can do is say, okay, without judgment, I want to hear what's going on with you. You can tell me what's going on with you, how you feel, what's happening at school, uh, what kind of peer pressure you're feeling. Tell me about what you saw on Facebook today that upset you. And I think, you know, for a, for a parent, 
to just think their job is to provide food and shelter. Not in mm-hmm. this world. Not in this world. No. You have to really connect to your kid as best as you can. Now, no one does it perfectly. As Bruno Bettelheim once said, you don't have to be a perfect parent. You just have to be a good enough parent. But mm-hmm. I think days a good enough parent checks in to see, well, what are my kids doing online? Who are they chatting with? What are they reading that's feeding their anxiety? My kid used to be so happy and so cheerful, and I notice he or she is more downtrodden now, more depressed, more mm. sullen. Now, some of that's just being a teenager. And so the parent has to also say to themselves, I remember when I was kind of like that. So it doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong. But I do want to check in and say, hey, kiddo, how are you doing? Sometimes just saying, you know, hey, kid, how are you doing? From a parent to a child is you. Because they find out their parent's interested in them and in what's going yeah. on with them. As long as they're not being judgmental, yeah, I agree. They they Long should. It's I, I agree. My my niece has to has to get surgery today. I'm like a nervous wreck, and her boyfriend's gonna call me, and she didn't want to tell her mother and father that she needed four teeth removed, four wisdom teeth, and and I know she works in a psych hospital. She loves it. She works with kids why and adults. She, why didn't she want? She to said tell her? she didn't want to tell my niece that she needed monetary help. And she said, I said, ask your father. So he said, well, he's selling his business. I mean, he's going to buy his business, his mortgage, whatever. And he said, I don't know if I can. So, And I said, she didn't ask me for money. She said to me, I got to get these teeth done. I said, you know what? You've been waiting for this for over two years. Your mouth is infected. How much is it? She says, I can do half. I gave her the other half because it needed to be done. I said, I'm not going to tell your parents. It's up to you to dissolve them if you want to. But I don't want the money back. I just want you to get your teeth done. This this is my, – my niece is tough, but my nephew is tougher. And in my family, if you don't earn it on your own, you're not going to get it. Yeah. Nobody gives you – nobody I, – I, I paid for school myself. I got my four masters and my PD, born by myself, paid a million dollars, and I said, you know what? Nobody could tell me that I didn't earn it because – I paid for it myself with, you know, however I did it. She works in a psych hospital, and she works, I don't know how much she gets. She loves it, though, absolutely loves it. And I said, Dan, you know, you're you're so smart. You can work in a psychiatric hospital or whatever, but my nephew and my niece are different. And I'm sure eventually he'll give her something. But I didn't have the the guts to say to her, I can't help you because her whole mouth is infected. I can't do that. So it's not even, and she felt so bad. She said to me, I don't know what I would do without you. I said, well, let's hope you never have to find out. I mean, well, what I do hope... you do when your parents can't help you and it's a medical thing? Well, and it's not I don't know. It's not covered. I mean, my feeling is they better have a Fran Lewis. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> uh, going to help. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's that's a good question. Uh, if you can't go to your parents and say, "Look, I need some financial help for a medical procedure," I don't know who you can uh, uh, who you're supposed to go to. Yeah, and she didn't ask me for help. I just said to her, "I'm so worried about you because you're working at night." She just worked four nights, twelve hours, and she and I te- and she te- it's really funny because she texts me, you know, like at one o'clock, are you up? I'm I'm having coffee. Are you up? I, I stay up the whole night. I crack up laughing. 
And in the morning, she wants her coffee. So the only thing I ever do for her is I send her Starbucks coffee cards so she can get coffee for free. <laughs> well, that was a nice <laughs> gift. Yeah, it is. She loves it. And, of course, her sister's going for criminal justice, and she's taking psychotherapy, child psychotherapy this month, and she loves it. Oh, she good. Thinks I'm the, glad. Yeah, she's great. So when are you going to write another Dennis Rinaldi for me? Oh, you mean uh, my my psychologist, uh, amateur sleuth, uh, Daniel yes. Rinaldi? I don't yes. know. I, I You know, it's funny. He's a very busy guy. I call him once in a while and leave a message going, what's going on with you? <laughs> so I don't actually know. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's very busy, and he doesn't always return his phone calls or emails. So, oh, uh, that's so sad. With Daniel Rinaldi, but... Uh, I did get a pretty good response to his latest, the latest book, Panic Attack. I got a very nice response from readers. So if anybody's unfamiliar with uh, Daniel Rinaldi and the psychological thrillers that I write, um, uh, you can start with Panic Attack. And uh, available, as they say, wherever fine books are yeah. sold or on Amazon. Or you can well, learn, about, just... learn about Go. my practice and my book. That's even better. You can go to my website, DennisPalumbo.com, and, and uh, uh, you know, learn about the books and about the, the work that I do as a therapist. That's more interesting, actually. And for those of you that have done the wrong thing and have done something horrible to somebody, read Mirror Image. That's my latest creation. And if you read the book and you read the stories, they're all different. And if you do not repent, you look at the face in the mirror, and the mirror will tell you if you don't redo the, the deed a different way, you're going to wind up a face in the mirror forever. Wow. That's the new one. Yeah. Well, and the other part of it is um, people that whose voices were silenced, people that deserve to be dead and did the wrong thing, and people that are wrongly accused. And I've gotten some nice responses and some that I don't care. I really don't. But um, Vincent Zandri gave me the gave me a blurb for the outside back cover, and John Didakis gave me one for the inside cover, and oh, David Putnam gave me one for the for the inside cover too. Oh, so those like are good. Honors. Those are good gets. They really are. Yeah, they are. They yeah, really are. That, but yeah. yeah they, thank you so much. This has been fun. And and so, well, are, I'm they, always happy to be on your show, friend, and I appreciate the fact that you give me an opportunity here to, to talk about things like teenage anxiety that are important to me. And uh, I agree. One of these days we have to do another one on adult stress and anxiety, but I can't say it on the air. Ab- <laughs> absolutely. All right. Take care, friend. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe and listen to your kids, parents. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.